Hey everyone, welcome to the Voyage Denver podcast, where we interview some of the most interesting and inspiring folks from across town. And we ask them about their lives, their businesses, their art, and more. All right, so joining us today is Erin Dvorak. She is a fine art photographer, educator, and she's been around photography her entire life. And so we're so excited to share her story with you guys today. And Erin uh, is also a content partner. Content partners help Voyage in a gazillion ways from spreading the word about the work we do, sponsoring our mission, and collaborating with us on content like this. And so Aaron, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we'd love for you to kind of walk our audience through um, your story to kind of get things started. Hello, and thank you so much for having me today. My name is Erin Dvorak, and I am a fine art photographer living and working in Denver, Colorado. So I can begin to introduce myself by just talking about where I grew up and sort of how I got into photography. I was born and raised in a town called Spencer, Iowa, which is a rural town in northwest Iowa. I grew up um, a country girl. I was raised on an acreage, and some of, well, most of my childhood memories involve being outside and with animals. Um, Like, a big piece of my upbringing was going outside with my uh, dad and my brother on their hunting trips, Um, as I was the youngest of four siblings. I really valued the memories that I have of going outside with my dad and brother as a young child because I really think that doing that gave me a love for going outdoors for several hours on end just with one task in mind. And that might even be a task or objective that's never seen to fruition as hunting can be something that's not guaranteed um, to come back with what you had aimed to do. So I loved going outside. Um, My siblings are all quite a bit older than myself. And when I was a teenager, I did spend a lot of time alone. Um, As they do say, if you are, if you have more than like four years between a sibling, um, you tend to feel like the only child, which in my teenage and high school years definitely was the case. Um, I sort of latched onto my imagination and creativity during these years, and I really think that's where my mind started to develop creatively um, in the outdoors specifically. So my interest in photography, though, started at that young age. Um, My father is not a photographer by trade, but he has always had a passion for this type of art. So I became really intrigued in photography when he started buying these cool new photography equipment for the time. Um, He got a really nice digital camera when I was about 14, and he was gracious enough to let me just sort of take this outside and go take pictures and explore the camera. And I actually remember some of my first photography lessons were um, done by my dad when we would be on long road trips and he would try to explain to me what shutter and aperture and ISO and all of those camera settings were. So I would roam around my parents' property and I would take photos of the land that I really had been looking at my whole life. But thinking about these moments of photographing at a young age, every time I took a photo, my perspective about 
the land changed. And I started to realize that I was learning new things about the environment around me that I thought I really knew quite well. Um, I've actually been recently reading a a book on photography theory called On Photography by Susan Sontag. And she talks about this idea of seeing photographically. So looking back on those early years of photography, I really was developing this photographic eye for, or rather the ability to see photographically versus just seeing to observe or just looking out of curiosity. So as I continued making photographs at a young age, I started to notice and actually seek out opportunities to share my work with other people. I would enter into 4-H competitions for the Clay County Fair, and I always loved the process of picking photography, printing photography, mounting photography, um, and sort of putting it out there and being vulnerable to have people look and um, give you feedback. So the more feedback I got from people, positive and negative, the more I just sort of knew I wanted to learn and continue to grow as a photographer. Um, I made the decision to go to college for photography really... um, it was a no-brainer. You know, looking back on my decision on studying photography, I'm always astounded that I was unwavering in this choice because I am actually a quite indecisive person. Um, But I enjoyed every second of my college education. I went to the University of Kansas and the photography program at KU was really stellar when I was in school. I had awesome photographer, uh, excuse me, professors who supported me through my development as an artist and photographer. Um, interestingly, though, I didn't really view myself as an artist or um, when I was a kid or a teenager or even in high school, really. I knew that I loved photography, but the idea of being an artist seemed really unreachable to, you know, my country girl self. Um, we had art growing up in my rural school district, but it was never like what you would find in a more metropolitan area with, um, more stout art programs. So I had this narrative about myself that I was going to art school, but I really wasn't an artist. Um, I sort of scrambled before the summer before college to get any knowledge that I could about the basics and what I thought I would need, um, When I went to college, I definitely felt overwhelmed by my peers who were coming from places like Chicago or Kansas City, and I really worked my butt off to meet the level of perfection that I had set for myself. Um, My persistence to become an artist really paid off, and I focused on developing my love and passion for art, and I actually ended up finishing my time at school feeling like I was an artist and that being a fine art photographer was something I could obtain. Now, after I graduated college, I was um, doing quite well in this realm. I had gotten several awards. I'd done exhibitions all through college. And I really was having experiences that you think would just like set me up to jump right into the art world. But I really did not do that like I thought I would have. Um, I think I worked so hard in college that once I didn't have to go to class and I could just um, live my young adult life, I stopped prioritizing art for a long time. And I'm talking about years. Like, I was trying to figure out 
how I wanted to navigate a career or even what career I wanted to do. I had always thought about being an art teacher and I even took some art education college, uh, classes in college. Um, and so my first art education type of job was with Sanborn Western Camps in 2015 and I was their art coordinator for the summer season. Those were an amazing, extremely formative two months of my life. Um, After that summer, I worked in logistics and coordination at a public charter school in Kansas City for two years. Um, And it wasn't until 2017 that I moved back to Colorado permanently, and I've been living there since. Um, I moved back into the seasonal lifestyle and continued working for the Colorado uh, Outdoor Education Center as their arts coordinator in the summer again. And also, I was a field instructor during their school week programs. Um, After I finished my last season at COEC in May of 2018, I moved to Denver and started my current job at DSST Green Valley Ranch Middle School as their visual arts teacher. So being a middle school art teacher at, in my opinion, the best and coolest middle school in Denver um, really feels like I am where I'm meant to be. And I work with amazing administrators who are um, very supportive of my artistic goals um, while I continue to work in art education. Yeah, t- teachers rock, and uh, and I think now more than ever, people are recognizing the amazing jobs that teachers, particularly at the elementary or middle school level, are are doing. And um, and plus, you've got a supportive kind of leadership and administrators at your school, and you know, I, I think that's that's just so amazing, and and, and makes um, makes a really big difference. So, so I think that's that's really great. So you're currently working on a new series. I'd love to hear more about it, and, and I'm sure our audience would as well. The current series that I would like to tell you about today is the photographic series that I'm working on called South Platte Studies. So South Platte Studies originated in 2017 when I was working at the Colorado Outdoor Education Center as really an obsessive intrigue with the visual qualities and natural history of the South Platte region in Colorado. Um, The South Platte region is where the High Trails Outdoor Education Center Sanborn Western Camps is located, and being an instructor in an outdoor environment really gave me the opportunity to get to know the land on a pretty intimate level and to start to understand just how complex, how layered, and how really interesting that natural history and visual history is to me. So when I started actually creating images for this series, it wasn't until this past September in 2019. I was super intrigued by how this kind of small water source, you know, in comparison to water sources across the world, the South Platte is in a way minuscule. It's nothing compared to the Mississippi as far as mileage or depth or width or anything like that. So I just was so interested in how this water source could be the um, livelihood for the metro of Denver, which is five million people and growing uh, industry and agriculture and not just the metro of Denver, but we're talking about 
the entire South Platte River Basin, which covers northern Colorado, um, southwestern Nebraska, and so on. So an easy way for me to begin the discussion about the South Platte was with water conservation platform. Well, you know, the eminent uh, exacerbation of our water resources, a promising topic to photograph, um, the South Platte also means a lot to me as development as a person and an artist um, for myself. The purpose of making art for the sake of my mental health has just become really obvious. Um, Since I've started making South Platte studies, I have been diagnosed with several mood disorders, such as anxiety and OCD, which are disorders that I have been dealing with my whole life, but it hasn't been until the past six months, actually, that I've gotten an actual diagnosis on those things. So it's all sort of starting to make sense to me why I'm making art the way I am and why I've chosen the process that I've chosen. Um, In learning to cope with these disorders using art making processes, I noticed that I don't think about water conservation so much when I'm making photographs, but rather I'm obsessing over small details of the landscape. Um, When I discover a new category of obsession, let's say, within the South Platte region, I spend weeks researching, writing about, making images about, but really obsessively thinking about one topic um, or one category. So for an example, I've recently been focused on uh, the scarring of trees and the historical... um, and actually like menacing fire of 2002 called the Heyman fire. Um, so the Heyman fire was started by a park ranger supposedly burning a letter from her estranged husband. And the fire was just sparked at a moment in time that um, the air was super dry and the wind was just right. And it was within like an overnight hour time period. So a matter of hours, it had just totally engulfed thousands and thousands of acres of land. And it continues to be the, um, the fire in that has, uh, destroyed the most acres of land in recorded Colorado history. So my captivation is really attached to these details like um, the ponderosa bark that is still just burnt to a crisp or the the trees that are just made of trunks of ash now and you know the visual spongy qualities of that and how I can look at that photographically and make it visually interesting for other people to be captivated by this as well. I'm interested in the trees that are melted down to their cambrium which is a um, section of the tree that is so deep that it just stays scarred. And um, the large format process is a huge form of catharsis for me as I am methodically and intentionally using my eyes to, as I said before, see photographically. While this series is very new and each time I go out to make photographs, I get more ideas on how I can continue to share the stories and the perspectives of the South Platte River and just how important the South Platte is to our community here in the Front Range and beyond the Front Range, honestly. Um, I think that one of the big things I'm focusing on in art making 
right now is how to send home the idea that our water source, the South Platte River, often feels almost immortal. You know, you rarely think about just how important sustaining and conserving water is on a day-to-day basis when water supply is not an issue on the forefront of your mind. You know, you might turn your water off as you brush your teeth, but really we live in a quite arid environment and water conservation is probably the number one way that we are going to create a sustained land and community and, um, you know, growing agriculture and industry for future generations. So it's in these little details that I hope and I look for reaching people and understanding just how delicate this ecosystem is and how calculated our uh, measurements are in releasing water from reservoirs and giving water to the people. Um, And I really do hope that this work reaches a level of water conservation that makes a big impact on the community long term. Yeah, I think it's a topic that a lot of people care about. Um, water conservation is, is so important, and, and it's awesome to see how you're kind of using your art to address it. And so can you talk to us a bit about medium and, and process for your artwork? The medium that I use for my artwork is called large format photography, and I can talk to you a bit about the process that I uh, do for this medium. Photography is one of the youngest art mediums and really has evolved drastically and continues to evolve at a rapid pace, much like technology does. Large format photography uses film to capture photographs and is called large format because the film sheet is four by five inches big. So this type of photography is not a new technology. It has been around for over a hundred years and people often refer to my camera as uh, looking like an accordion as it stretches out using bellows and it sits on a what is called a monorail that is attached to my tripod. If you've ever seen photos of Ansel Adams with his camera, that's really similar to what my camera looks like. The large film size allows the image to contain a lot of precise detail, which is why I love this type of photography for landscape. Another thing that I love about large format photography is that you can have a much more limited amount of photos that you can take. So I will go out to take photos and bring four sheets of film, meaning I can only take four pictures. This requires a lot of intentionality to the images that I make, and it also requires that I think about the photos I make before I even go to the location that I'm shooting. There's always this level of spontaneity, as I may feel inspired to photograph something I didn't think on, but the pre-work of thinking through my images beforehand is important to the process. After I shoot the images, I then develop them using color photography chemicals. So what I'll do is I'll lock myself in my closet so that it's totally pitch black. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. And then I transfer the film sheets from the carriers that I use to make the picture into what's called a developing tank. After they are secure in the tank, I'm able to develop the negatives in the light. So I do that in my kitchen or my bathroom. 
I use a mixed process of analog and digital, meaning that my images are all shot on film and then I scan the negatives using a digital film scanner. I do not do a lot of post-processing of the photograph on Photoshop, but I do what we call dust my images by editing away the inevitable dust spots that are on the image as you scan it in. Um, I really love when my pictures are as clear as possible. So the whole process is very tedious and I need incredible focus every step of the way so that I don't make a silly mistake and possibly ruin a sheet of film. I think this is why I love the process so much and why it's really therapeutic to me because I'm able to funnel my obsessive nature into a process that requires a lot of attention to detail. So the final stage of this process is to print the images using an archival inkjet printer so that my work can be shared um, in the form of hard copy prints um, or in galleries or exhibitions. Wow, that's um, that's pretty amazing. It's it's incredible thinking about how much goes into um, the art that you're that you're producing, and and the process is obviously not easy or simple. Um, in fact, it's it's pretty complex. And so, what do you find to be the the biggest challenge in this process, and and how do you work through it? Because the large format process is so tedious, there are a lot of challenges that come up, and that I face during the process. Um, One of those that I'll talk to you about today is finding a balance between having control and a strong technique, you know, control over your camera settings, over the film, but then also embracing the inevitable lack of control during the process. Lack of control can be a big trigger for my anxiety, so learning to embrace this has been a struggle. In making the series South Platte Studies, it involves going outdoors and using my body to move around. Hiking and biking are my favorite ways to access locations to make these photographs because you can get perspectives that are inaccessible by a car. So I will put a lot of preparation and time into this type of image making process. At times I'll wake up before sunrise, drive two hours or more, bike 30 miles, just to get to a spot I've been curious about. So when I put all this effort into getting to the location that I want to make photos, I feel a pressure to be perfect in my process so that I don't end up accidentally exposing my negative or making a different mistake. So time is currency to me, and I really struggle with when I feel as though time spent was not efficient. Doing all this work to possibly leave a photo excursion without any photographs can feel pretty frustrating to me. A recent example of a way in which I had to embrace lack of control in the process is when I went out to Cheeseman Canyon the other day to take photographs just to open up my backpack and find that a crucial piece of my camera had been broken. The ground glass on my camera was totally shattered, meaning that I could not see the images that I would make and I couldn't focus or even compose the picture intentionally. In this scenario, I ended up looking at the situation like an experiment and decided to use my knowledge of the camera to try to make the image anyway. So I worked through these challenges by trying to look at each journey I take as a learning opportunity so that I don't get overly frustrated by the little hiccups that will most certainly happen. 
I think not getting frustrated by the little hiccups is relevant across industries. Such, um, you know, it's such an important perspective to have. And so, Aaron, thank you so much for that perspective, but also for educating us about your art and the process and everything that goes into creating these incredible works of art. And so for everyone listening, you can connect with Erin on her website at erindvorak.com or on Instagram at erindvorak. We have all that info below in the episode notes. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you'll join us again next time. Take care. Thanks. Bye.